It's good. We have a lot of time. We are moving really quickly today in our service. Just means I have more time to yell at you. Uh, probably today's passage that we want to look at uh, is one of my favorite passages. But before that, um, I just want to say something. Uh, as I was praying through this week, uh, as often God will give me a phrase or thought or something really making me to meditate throughout the week. The, the phrase God gave me this week, really just two words, make room. And I was praying one morning, and I, I don't exactly remember why, but as in my prayer, God gave me the thought, make room. If you think about it, Christmas is a time. You know, you know one, of the, one of the well-known Christmas stories about, you know, the innkeeper who has no room, no room at the inn for Jesus' baby to be born, babies just to be born. And if you think about Christian life, and everything begins with us making room for God in our hearts, our lives. Christmas is really where we, we really, uh, a season we begins with making a room for our God to enter into our lives. This is what prayer is important. As we pray, we make room for God to enter and break into our lives. Hope does, hope makes room in our lives. We can trust in God, not, not in uh, despair, not in, not in anger, but, not, but in hope as you do that we open our hearts, making room in our hearts for God to come. Christian life is about really making room in our lives for God to break in. Amen? So think about that. You know, and so uh, in the midst of all the things you're doing, I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know if any of you are as busy as my wife because, you know, my grandkids are coming. You know, and three of them are coming. So my wife has been busy on Amazon. I get at least a dozen emails a daily of things that order that are coming to my house. You know, and I, I think, I kid you not, she ordered at least 50 gifts, 50 plus gifts for my grandkids. Okay. <laughs> Who gets 50 gifts for Christmas? And she does that, and she has so many more coming. So I said, what am I getting? Nothing. We decided all the people don't get nothing. Anyway, so, no, you have to give me something. Anyway, in the midst of all that, okay, in the midst of all that, make time to make room in your life for, as Pastor Mimi shared a couple of weeks ago, the reason for the season, for Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this is not, my, this is not part of my message, but let me say, I need to mention a couple of things about Advent. We, Christ came first time as, in history, we've been waiting for the Messiah to come. But we, Advent also talks about we are waiting for the Advent of our King, our Lord, Savior, who will come and make all things right when he comes second time. Christmas is a reminder of the first Advent. As well as a reminder, looking into the second, the final Advent of our Lord, Jesus coming back. Remember that. Make room in your life, in your heart. If you can open your Bible to Acts chapter 13, we want to look at just three verses today. Three verses today, okay? Now, usually I, you know, I, I have, I've been using NASB version for as long as, remember, almost 40 years. Now, somebody convinced me I'm, I'm going to begin to change it to NASB, English, I think, standard version, I believe. Anyhow, uh, if you... Just want to remind you, if you have 
If you use YouVersion Bible app, you can follow along with the message on this event. You can type that in. You should be able to locate it. The reason I do that is so that you can, you don't have to write the notes right now. You can actually be able to save. You can go back and look at it. And, uh, and there's so much more, I think, as Pastor Mimi and I and other speakers share God's word with us. There's so much more than what we remember. This is helpful for us. I just want to remind you, this is a, the picture I found in Google that I put up last week. The Advent season is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. There are four main themes in it that we look into. Last week, we started with hope. This week, the second Advent is, uh, theme of Advent is peace. I don't know about you. Don't we need peace? This is something that we need probably most as, a, as years ago, we need peace everywhere. Everywhere, peace. And then joy and love. I love joy. Okay, not because my wife's name is Joy, but I love joy. My favorite Christian song ever I sang was, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my house. Not in my house, okay? Literally in my house, okay? All right. Today, season of, just a reminder, season of peace. True peace is not just letting things go. True peace really starts from transformation that goes in deep in our being. True peace is more than just truth. It's more than just letting things go. It is true peace is something that is uh, paid for and birthed out of sacrifice, especially our Lord Jesus Christ. True peace starts in our hearts and lives, in transformed lives. Today, uh, we're still going through the message series, message, message, series of messages called Life in the Spirit. We are about, have we about 25 messages into it. I do not know when it will end because life in the Spirit is what we do as Christians all of our lives anyway. We are going through the book of Acts right now and highlighting certain things. And today we want to we wanna look at chapter 13 of the book of Acts. The title I put was Set Apart and Sent. Set apart and sent. You'll find at the end that my title will change to something else. It'll change in the, as, as you go along. Okay? Let me remind you, the book of, book of Acts, the account of the early church, first church, really start with the promise and the command of our Lord Jesus who said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You notice that I put ESB there, not NASB. Okay. All right, today's text, as I said, Acts 13, verse 1 through 3. I'd love for you to use your Bible too, but Bible app is help. If you use your phone, Bible app is okay. All right, only that. If you use anything else, no. I'd rather you have a Bible with you, but okay. Let me, I want, what I want to do is I want to just read those three verses quickly once, and then I want to break it down little by little, and there are amazing, amazing things you want to mine out of and dig into. Let me read it once. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. I didn't really plan it this way, but it, I think it's more than coincidence that today we will have election of our leaders who will, who will be added to our leaders' leadership to serve next three years. So it's just sort of fit perfectly into today's, what's happening today as with this passage. Let me start with, uh, um, this, this, let me go down one by, little thought by thought in that verses, the three verses, okay? It begins by talking about the church in Antioch. Okay, look at me a little bit, your handsome face, okay? I just need to walk around because some of you are hidden behind the pole. This, I just want to highlight this thing because until now, chapter, up, to, up till chapter 12 of Book of Acts, the center of Christian church was in Jerusalem. Until chapter 12, the main person, the Bible, uh, the book of uh, Luke focuses on is Apostle Peter. Chapter 13 and on, the, the focus of the church, the attention goes to church, not in Jerusalem, but in Antioch, which is probably the third largest city in Roman Empire at the time. It was not a small city. About 5 million people at the time. Big city. Okay? A Gentile city. Okay? Known for decadence and all kind of things in the city. The church in Antioch. We mentioned how in, um, and, okay, and then chapter 13 to 28, the main focus of character person is Apostle Paul. Chapter 1 to 12, Peter and Jerusalem. 13 to 28, Paul and Antioch, okay? okay? You can sort of see the book, 28 chapters of the book of Acts in two segments, big segments, okay? You can see that. This is important because the church is now, has been progressing, advancing throughout the whole world. Started from a, a, a city in Jer Jerusalem and the gospel going forth in the whole area. That area was under the control of Roman Empire and this is really a Tiny little area. Now gospel is spreading all over the place, spurred on by persecution, sufferings. I need to say something here. Sometimes we, are, we, we don't want suffering. We want to avoid suffering. But you are suffering persecution that let the gospel go to the ends of the earth. If there's no persecution, gospel will not have really gone forth. God pushed them along. You, you, because they're not going, God kicked them. Get out. Move. God was moving them out. So the gospel is going forth. Now comes to Gentile city. We saw in chapter 11 how some, some Christians came to Antioch and began to share the gospel, not only to Jews, but to everyone. The early first Gentile church started in Antioch. Before I go on, I need to say, there's so many things I wanted to say. Okay. Okay. Uh, I need to do one thing before I go. And I mentioned this to our uh, life group leaders yesterday. When you think about church, like Book of Acts, we often look at 20th century, 20, uh, 20th, first century mind. In those days, churches didn't have buildings. Building for churches happened only after fourth century, where, when uh, uh, Roman Emperor Constantine made Christianity a nation's religion. Before that, churches were persecuted, usually in small, setting in the small houses. Maybe somebody, somebody's a big house, they may gather, they saw house churches. It was not a big buildings or anything. Somehow we think about, when you read the church 
about church in the Bible, you think about it, our term. There was no mega thousands of churches, thousand people member churches, a small, maybe 30, 40 at most, rarely maybe 100 if you have a huge house. And you know, even in Jerusalem, they were mostly meeting in homes regularly, but sometimes gathered in Jewish, uh, Jerusalem temple, which was not a Christian place. It's where Jews gathered and they went in there, the word met God and, and met a, had a meeting, which was not regular. Most churches were in small places. So I told a large group of leaders, yes, small group of leaders yesterday, life group of leaders yesterday, that in and that life groups is really what early church looked like. When you group up you know, the four, five, six family meet you, that's almost like what early church looked like. When you think about church like that, having leaders of deacons and elders. It's not difficult what you think about in an organization of 1,000 people. You see? Very different. You have to to look at the Word of God and and the church as what the Bible talks about, not with our own understanding. Let me go on. And then it talks about in in that church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Prophets are people who have gifting, special giftings of the Holy Spirit from God, from God, Holy Spirit, to hear the heart of God, the voice of God, they hear words of God, heart of God, and speak forth God's word to people. Teachers are the ones who take the written word, revelations, and be explained to people. And the thing, the, the thing for me, I love this thought. Somehow, this, if you look at early church and the churches, you'll find something very uncommon you find a lot of churches nowadays with one pastor running the church. You'll find prophets and teachers serving together as a team. One of the things that God taught me over the years, kingdom of God, God's work is not done by one person. It's done by people together. It's one of the things we believe in. And we doing it together, not alone. And one of the things we always said, our Jehovah Church is Built by people, not by pastors. I mean, when Pastor Mimi came to our church, we hired her and as our associate pastor. And, and when she came, she used to be a youth pastor in Seattle. We had about 100 some kids on her hand. For, and, and they had a wonderful ministry. When she came, she said, do you want me to do the youth ministry? No, I don't want you to do youth ministry. I don't want you to do college ministry. I want you to do a church with me. Because all the ministry in the church will be done by people. It will help them to do the things that God wants to do them. Over the years, I'm so proud that our youth group and college group now was all done by our own people. Not some, you know, specially paid staffs. Church will be built by people, ourselves. So here there were prophets and teachers serving God together. Look at what it says. Now, there were in the church of Antioch, prophets and teachers, names five people. I highlight it so it's easier to see, right? There's Barnabas. You heard about Barnabas. I like Barney, one of my favorite people in the Bible. He's not purple giant, whatever. Simeon, who was called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. By the way, you know what Cyrene is? Cyrene is, Cyrene is one of the cities in northern Africa. It is the uh, African northern coast, uh, 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 I think west of Egypt, right? In a, right? Cyrene, okay? And Manayan, 
a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. That, you know, Herod is the whole family. Herod the Great was the one who tried to kill baby Jesus. His son, and the many sons became kings in the region. Herod the Tetrarch was the one who beheaded John the Baptist. Okay? And this Manayan was grew up together with this Herod, the king, one of the kings, the Herod. Now, the translations are very clear whether he was one of the family members or whether he was a close friend of Herod. But the point is that he was a royal birth. He is really uppity up in, in that growing up in palace and all that. And, you know, and Herod was hated by people because he was a puppet king of Rome. And then he was, and they were not very moral people anyhow. So people didn't like them. They were king. He was, he was king. But, but anyway, Menahem grew up with him. And Saul, who was a church persecutor. Look at this list of the people. Now, I didn't get to explain a little bit. Simeon, who was called Niger. In Latin, it means black, black-skinned. If you look at the list a little bit, right? Barnabas was in the early church. He mentioned in Book of Acts chapter 4 in the early church early church where he was who sold his land, gave it to the people, helped a wonderful man. And there's Simeon who, and, 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 uh, and Lucius talks, talks about people from every background, every culture, and every economic status is a guy who grew up with king, and there's a church persecutor, and, and, and this group of people together. If you look at the list, what do you see? I see grace of God that transformed people. The greater church persecutor, Saul, met Lord Jesus Christ face to face, transformed, become part of the leadership in the church. Menan, who grew up with the king, hated by people, came to know Christ, and life has changed. He's now leader in the, one of the leaders in the church. Lucius of Cyrene, somebody from Northern Africa. And Simeon, probably from, uh, some, some people, some commentators think that this might be Simeon, Simon who carried the cross for Jesus. Remember on the way to the uh, Golgotha, somebody carried, si Simon of Cyrene, right? As the Bible says, who carried the cross. Some people think he might be that guy. And, so, and then Barnabas, you see group of people, God, transformed are together serving God. Isn't that great? From the early church, this is over 2,000 years ago. Look at the church, what it looks like. How beautiful it is. We struggle, we struggle, struggle. We still, still struggle in our, our time, our days with racism and all the different, uh, differentiation, all those things. But that and the time, 2,000 years ago, church in the spirit of God knew unity that nobody else knew. Amen? Only thing is that they don't mention women here. I would have loved it more if they mentioned the woman leaders in it. Because Bible talks about there were women apostles, by the way. This is not my notes, but let me, let me go and talk a little bit about this. Okay. okay. All right. Okay. Give me five minutes, okay? This is important, something we believe in. 
one of the most important central truths in the Word of God is Galatians chapter 3, when it says, In Christ is neither Jews or Gentiles, slaves are free, male or female, we are one in Christ Jesus. And when, when Christ came, He broke all the barriers down. We are all invited into Christ to become sons and daughters of God. I believe the Word of God mentions how when Spirit of God came upon God's people, God gifted people to serve the kingdom of God together. And there are mentions of woman apostles in the Bible, Romans chapter 16. Junius is a woman apostle. And Paul says, she's excellent among the apostles, Junius. There are other leaders in the early church who are women. But, at least, but the church here does not mention woman's name here, but they're woman leaders. And yet in the early church, there were diverse leaders all over. And God using all people, both men and women, for kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Let me quote uh, um, Henry Ironside. He's writing in 1943 in a book called uh, Lectures on the Book of Acts. The grace of God was manifested richly in this church. There was no race prejudice. People of different color of skin and different religious background were found happily worshiping together. Jews, Gentiles, people of various races. This is all we read about Simeon, yet it is enough to tell us that the grace of God was working in a mighty way, breaking down carnal prejudice. In the kingdom of God, there is no differentiations. God is not partial to anything. Amen? Uh, let me go back to the verse 2. It says, When they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. I highlighted the word worshiping. But if you look at, not, not that you have to look at, if, there are different words for worship in the Bible, but here the word really is not worship. It could mean that, but really the, a lot of translations will will translate it as ministering, King James Version, NASB, and all serving. While they were serving the Lord and fasting, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, they're a little different from worshiping. Often when you worship, it's about, God, we worship you. Exalting God. But here, ministering to God is a little different. The different nuance is, God, what is in your heart? Yes, yes, we worship you, God. We love you, but how can he minister to you? I don't know if you ever thought about ministering to God. Does God need to be ministered to? We never thought about that. God is powerful, but I remember reading about um, this, I believe Catholic nuns in 19, late 1940s and 50, early 50s who spent hours and weeks and months spending time before God. Really ministering to God's heart. God, when we people killed seven, eight millions of Jews who are called to be your people, how did your heart break, God? What is your heart like when we have done this kind of sinful things? When 30 plus million people are destroyed in the war, in wars, how is your heart Broken all those, God. And they literally spent before God, not just worshiping God. God, what is in your heart? How can we minister to your heart? 
Here, these leaders and probably the whole church was ministering to Haraka. God was in your heart. Yes, we worship you. We love you, God. But we, we want to know what is in your heart. What, what is in your heart? What do you care about? How can we really love you well, God? That aspect. And they were fasting. And my, my guess, is, my understanding is that there was some stirring. They were feeling something. The prophetic people and whatnot, they were feeling God. God, something was in God's heart. God, what is in your heart? We want to know what is in your heart. We want to do what is in your heart. And they were really hearing God, what God is saying. In the midst of that, Holy Spirit says, set apart somebody for me. I want to stop and say, do we listen to God? Do we hear God? Often we come and do things. We worship you, God, and we pray, we walk away. We, there's not a lot about waiting on God, hearing God, what God is saying. God, what is in your heart? And getting, getting there. Often it's me doing things and walking away. Here they were ministering to God. They were, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, they heard God say. While they were, I highlighted the word, Holy Spirit said, now, you know, so I don't know why in our generation there are a lot of Christians, good God, Bible-believing, God-loving Christians who has issue, they're really uncomfortable saying Holy Spirit still speaks in our generation. The word, we are weary that we may, people, people will say, the Lord said, oh, Lord, the abusers came out of and they are worried about, the, and the Bible is already closed. The Spirit can still speak. God is saying yesterday to them, but he doesn't change. He still speaks. And if we can hear what God is speaking to us, they were ministering and worshiping God and, and serving God and fasting. And Holy, they heard Holy Spirit God say to them, set apart for me. Set apart for me. God says, set apart for me. Barnabas and Saul. There were out of the five main leaders that was really guiding the churches in Antioch, meaning there were many, many churches because the house of churches are small and all broken all over the place. Now the five leaders, I'm out of that. God says, I want you to set apart two of them, Barnabas and Saul. I don't know if they were, and it's the first in the, the first in the list and the last in the list. I do not, I'm not saying those five in the list were in any order. Right? I'm not saying you know, Barnabas is number one and Saul is number five. It, it, it may not be, but it seemed to be the Barnabas maybe was a public main leader. And, uh, and Saul probably the last audition they came in. God said, I want you to set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. But by this time, they knew that probably Paul, Saul was the best teacher of them all, best theologian in the, in the midst. God said, I want you to set them apart for me. For the work to which I call them. God has, God has in mind. He said, Some, I know you are serving the kingdom of God and all the things you're doing. There's a great city you need to reach. Antioch, which is a huge city. You know, uh, 500,000 people in the mega city. A lot of work to be done. But God, I want something else in mind. I want to set up these people for the, which I've called them. And, and what do they do? What do they take time fasting and fasting and praying again? And they confirm that. Before I go on, I want to just, uh, one of my, 
one of my top 10 favorite verses in the Bible. So many verses I love. I have to have a top 10, top 20, top 50, whatever, top 10, okay? Jesus says to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit, and this fruit will abide. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Biblical understanding always is, it is not us who are choosing God, it is God who chooses us, who calls us. Every person who serves God, when God calls you into leadership, it was not me, I'm good enough. God, you can use me. It's more of God saying, I choose you. I called you. Not because you are good. You may be good, but not, not because of that. Not because you're smarter. Not because you're handsome. I know that for me, that's what it is. But, you know, God, I chose you to go and bear fruit. This will be eternal fruit, the fruit that will last. This is what God is saying. I set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I call them to. So then the whole church and the leadership fasting and praying again laid their hands on them. You know what they were doing was they heard, they heard, they heard the voice of God. They want to make sure it's God. And they prayed and fasted and make sure this is what God is saying. And they took time to, uh, to really hear God and work it through in their hearts and minds and to f- obey. And then they laid their hands on them, commissioned them, blessed them, and sent them off to God's work. Now, I want you to think about that. There's a lot of work to be done in the major city. And I, I believe that church was, church was still small in the city. A lot of work to be done. Yet God says, I have something else in mind. Can you Take your best, two best, to send them out. One of the things that I love about church, our church we are small, still a very tiny church. I got an email from Teresa Chang this morning. You know, one of, one, of our, one, of, one, of our, one of our deacons who is now at Bethel Church in California being trained in a school of ministry her third year. And one of the things she's doing is church planting and how she talking about how God is using them and all that. And we have one of our elders, Sue, with Christina, with five children in, in Boston, getting ready to be missionary in Thailand. You know, tourists have been wanting to be missionary in Middle East, Muslim area, and to go and share, uh, share gospel with Muslim women. Okay? We are a tiny church, but yet we, God is raising up people to send Send forth your best. And, and, and I'm, I'm grateful. We're supposed to be part, of what, be part of what God is doing. Our road is not just to take care of our own little flock. There's a lot of work to be done here, yes. But God says, Spirit of God says to church in Antioch, I want to set apart this too for my work. Something they have never done before. And the first ever missionary will be sent out from this church. Not from Jerusalem, from this Antioch Gentile church. The first ever missionary comes out of this church. They don't know where they're going, but they will obey and they'll go. Amen? Think about this. Um, Church responded by fasting and praying. And commissioned them and sent them. That's what they did. Obeyed. 
I still remember, uh, it was 1992. Uh, I was in Maryland uh, for three years, and I started English ministry. Uh, from, from the mother church that our church came out from, and I was here three years. And by end of three, third year, I, I sensed God on us to go somewhere else. And my wife and I fasted probably, uh, I think, 40 days. We, I think we fasted, we ate one meal a day for 40 days. And at the end, we knew that God, that's what God wanted us to do. God wanted us to leave Maryland to go to Hawaii. You know, Hawaii is my home, so it's not like I'm going to Hawaii for, to suffer. But I did. As I remember, uh, I wanted to tell our leaders before anybody else, I, I told our leadership you know, to come to my office. Uh, as I want to tell you before I tell anybody else, not even the church, that God has been you know, inviting, God has been telling me to move and go. And I told the people that. And Pastor Mimi was in that. And it was a shock, right? Everybody is shocked. And I remember one of the, one of the, lead, one of the uh, ladies, uh, leaders, Laura Park, was the one who says, she literally, she literally said, if God wants you to go, you should go. And we wept there, and then we, we had a service that day. But all I'm getting at is, I'm not talking about me. I'm just trying to talk about how God's heart, hearing the God's heart, what God is doing and saying, to see the kingdom of God go forth. And our goal, our goal is not just to build our church here. Our goal is to follow God and obey God and serve God. Amen? I'm getting older. I'm getting comfortable. I remember early days in the, those days when I was still young. I was, when I was younger, not younger, a whole lot more hair. I remember I think about three times I had a tempted thought about buying a townhouse those days. Because, you, know, you know, you just you rent an t- apartment, you just lose money. It just goes nowhere. I wanted to buy a townhouse. Every time I, when I was ready to buy one, I felt like I, I, something in me said, if God wants you to go somewhere, I want to, I want to be able to go whenever he tells me to go. That's why I didn't buy a house. And every time I felt like the, an opportunity came, he said, what if God says go somewhere? I want to be able to go. So now I, I, my, my butt has become heavy. And it is, I'm more comfortable. I'm not saying God is saying anything about me, but I'm, I really believe God is stirring a lot of things in our church. Yes, there's a lot of work to be done in our church as well. But if God is saying it's time for me to, me to send you somewhere for work, God's work, you know, and we have to obey. So here, mission begins. I have about 20 uh, slides. I'm going to skip it. Now, if chapter 13, verse 4 and on begins Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. This is where that they travel. Let me, let me go down. I'm going to skip all these things. Go down to... Okay, here. There's a couple of things I want to mention. I want to highlight and uh, really think about. Think about this. Are we hearing the heart of God? Are we hearing the heart of God? This church, Antioch church, the leadership of the whole church was really being attuned to the heart of God, God's desires, what he desires, what he wants. They were worshiping and serving, ministering to God and fasting, and they are waiting on God to hear God's heart for the city, for the church, for God's kingdom. Are we hearing the heart of God? Are you hearing the heart of God? Or do you have t- are you taking time, making room for you to hear the voice of God? 
Uh, when I visited the Ox Life Group at Columbia, they, told, they told me they were reading, uh, going through a book called Uncomfortable, right? Right? Uncomfortable, right? Right? Okay. Good book. I love the title. One of my jobs as a pastor is not to make you too comfortable. I don't want you to be too comfortable in things. I want you to be uncomfortable enough. You're able to listen to God and do what God tells you to do. If you're too comfortable in where you are, you may be in the wrong place. God doesn't want you to be comfortable. You have to be able to be satisfied with what God is doing, yet always ready to obey God. Second thing, am I willing to go? Going is not easy for most of us. Some more than others. It's easier for me. But somebody in my home is not as easy for her in going. I can go and sleep anywhere. She cannot. I can eat anything. She cannot. You know what I mean, right? And I can sleep anywhere. She cannot. I'm not saying who I'm talking about, okay? Am I willing to, you know, and I'm just, it's a little humorous, but the issue is, am I willing to go? Think about this, right? Whole Christian church begun, begins with Abraham, 75 years old in a, in a, what do you call, pagan city. Here's God saying, go, leave your family, leave your everything and go where I tell you to go. He didn't know where he was going, but he obeyed God. That's how faith journey begun. This is how the line of Jesus, the, the, the uh, Messiah comes, starts from there. We obeying God, hearing God, and going where he wants to go. And the, really, the word has to be that our prayers be, here I am, send me God. Send me God wherever you want. Like God may be sending, to me, sending me to be here. Not always out there. God may be sending me here to back to your work because maybe you are not really in your work doing what God wants you to do. May God wants to send you back to your work to really, really do the thing you're supposed to do. It's not a geography. It's about heart obeying faith thing, right? Third thing, hope opens doors to the world. I'm using hope. Yes, a real hope. But trusting in God and waiting upon God and, and, and believing in God opens the doors to the world. One of the things that I talked with the life group leaders yesterday was one of, one of the principles that every life group should have is an open, uh, open chair practice. One of the things I learned a long time ago is when you have a life group, small group that really, really grow together, love each other, one of, one of the dangers is you are so comfortable with each other, you don't want anybody else in. You need to always have an open chair, open chair reminding you that God may want somebody, to come, somebody else to come and be part of the group and blessed. Yes, we want to love one another unconditionally, deeply, but there has to be always openness to others. Our hope and trust in God opens the doors to the world. I'm almost done. We are called to be church of open this is the word God gave us beginning of the year. Church of, of open door. It's not just about, it's not, not to church of closed, but open door. Door opens up, the others can come in, but door opens up also, we can go out. I'm almost done. 
I just found some few pictures. Look at that. Isn't that a good picture? This picture, when I, when I picked it out of about 500 pictures I, pics I looked over, this helped me to think about the aspect. When open door means opening our hearts to God and heaven. That's what they did when they were ministering to God. Their heart was open to heaven. They hear what God is saying. But not only that, there is a, the word God has given. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Right? God is opening the eye, put an open door before you can walk right into it. The open door is into the, for the world as well. To our neighbors, to our community, to those around, to our hurting, to those are broken. He is opening door for us. Not only inviting them to come. Inviting is okay, but not enough. I need to go and look for it. Like the shepherd who went out looking for one lost sheep. We cannot just say, wait, and say, please come. That's okay, better than closed door. But we need to go out to the door and say, come. We need to go look for them. Amen? Can I praise him, come? The church of the open door. Revelation chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. Where are we in our hearts? God is amazing. God is good. As the praise team gets ready, let me talk to you a little bit. I want to know, just consider what is in your heart. Have you made room in your heart lately to hear God's heart? Hear what he's saying to you. And are you obeying? Are you hearing what God says and will do what he says? An open door can be mean open wallet. Opening a wallet might be the Biggest open door, you mean it open. Okay. One of the things I talk to premarital counseling sessions is that and in a, as you begin your life together as a husband and wife, you need to make sure your, your uh, finances are open room enough. If God says, do something you're able to do. If you're living paycheck by paycheck, you're always spending more than what you make. You don't have any room if God says, I want you to help someone. I want you to go through something. You have no room. You need to always make room in your wallet as well so that we are able to hear what God says. And this is why in Old Testament, when, you, when you're farming, when you're harvesting, you leave the edges intentionally and uh, any grain that falls on the ground, you leave it so that poor can come and take it freely. You, leave your, you live your life with openness for others to bless others. Open door may be open wallet as well. Open door may be open time. Time you give, make for others. If you are packing up your schedule, you have no room for anything else, and you're driving and you see somebody in need, you have no time to stop. Open door may be open time, having a, making sure you have a little bit room in your schedule, are able to reach out and care for. Amen.